You're listening to Crossings Conversations from Church Divinity School of the Pacific, a show about leaders creating Christian community and sharing God's love. This is Kyle Oliver, Communications and Marketing Manager at Church Divinity School of the Pacific, and I'm here with the Right Reverend Jennifer Baskerville Burroughs of the Diocese of Indianapolis. Bishop Jennifer, thanks so much for being with us. It's great to be with you. Thanks, Kyle. Um, So we're having a conversation today about uh, the future of leadership formation, and I thought as a way to begin that, um, we could talk about maybe how how your vision as a um, as a bishop now of the diocese for a number of years, maybe how your your vision of leadership formation has changed in the time that you've been in your current role. It's an interesting question. I'm not sure. You know, I I would say there's been an evolution, a slow one. Um, I I feel blessed that um, I've had a a number of years to think about this, having, you know, I went through my own discernment and uh, ordination process 20, well, well, not, well, wait a minute, 1990, well, I started it actually in like 1992. So it feels like a long time ago, sort of thinking about these things. And then when I became bishop, you know, what I found myself doing is kind of relying on all this accumulated knowledge and experience mm-hmm. and trying to shape a process that I felt would be able to be responsive to what I was discerning as the ministry needs of our time today. And a lot of those discernments have brought me to some tried and true um, disciplines and um, ideas about how do we form people, which is mostly about really making space for people to be able to discover how God might be calling them into lay and ordained ministries and providing them with the appropriate uh, formation opportunity to help them grow into that vocation. So as Bishop, you know, I've never taken a one size fits all uh, paradigm, you know, as the way for us to, to make these discernments. Everyone who comes into the Episcopal church is coming from such a variety of backgrounds and the calls vocations are all very different and luckily our seminaries and formation institutions are varied much more varied than they've ever been Mm. so that it provides an opportunity to um to respond in a number of ways and so helping to see where ministry is happening being ignited in the hearts of people around the diocese and providing experience and watching folks step into that ministry on the ground before they enter discernment has been probably the biggest shift you know, instead of, um, you know, we're proactively looking for people to be brought into ministry. It's one of our mission pillars to develop leaders, lay and ordain for the church of today and tomorrow. So we're always looking and always hoping to provide environments of ministry that are vital in following Christ in their communities, but also ones that help people to discern more deeply their, their calls. Hmm. So, so what does it look like? Um, you know, you, you talked about some, you know, sort of tried and true practices, like what, um, concretely, what does it, uh, what does it look like to encourage an individual to, to, um, uh, to, to look at that? You know, I imagine people, you know, have a certain image in some cases of, of what, what ministry might look at, look like, um, how do you, um, how, how do you encourage them to, am I saying that's right, to like, sort of make that connection between, the God's call for them and and the discernment. Does that question make sense? I think so. So maybe, let me try it this way. When I was being called into ordained ministry, I was really active in my congregation. And um, 
was then being invited to try to, to do more things. And so before I ever discerned a call to ordination, really, like as an exercise of meeting with the priest and going through an official discernment process, you know, I taught confirmation classes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I taught yeah. various Christian education classes as, you know, as a lay leader um, who was also active in doing other kinds of ministries. I was asked to preach. And there was just these invitations to, um, to be playful with the kinds of ministries that are possible in the church. And mm-hmm. that experience helped me to, to discern before I began an official discernment process. Mm-hmm. I, I, when I became bishop, I encountered um, individuals who wanted to discern ministry and um, but had not had the experience of actually exploring what that might be like, particularly for ordained ministry or, you know, for, whether it was de- deacons or priests, I thought, well, what is it like to to walk with another person in their Christian journey through a Christian education, Christian formation class? What is it like to preach a five minute homily at a evening prayer service? Those, I mean, you know, that's a lot of institutional kind of trying things on, but I think that alongside of watching someone explore their faith and watch how they might gather a community when they're doing other things outside of the institutional church um, were, are important indicators. And so we're not just looking for good folks who are faithful in coming to church, mm-hmm. to, or, but who have the opportunity to, to go deeper. And, um, you know, many folks have found that their call is not necessarily to ordain ministry, but to all kinds of lay ministries that they never would have considered previously because the only option that was put before them was ordination. Yeah. So um, developing leaders and all, and everyone's got the capacity to do something, I think, and it's being invitational about about that. Hmm. Yeah, so it sounds like a vision that um, that acknowledges that that people are sort of always on this path of formation and that the the sort of institutional words we put on it um, is sort of secondary to to the journey that people are on it sounds like yeah yeah I mean I and I just think the church thankfully is rediscovering that um, lifelong formation which is a term we've had for a long time but what does that mean for a community to take that seriously and to be taking ongoing discipling seriously in the Episcopal Church. And now we're saying, no, to be followers of Jesus means that we're constantly being formed and reformed into the mind and likeness of Christ. And so that requires all kinds of explorations. And some of them might lead to seminaries. Some of them might lead to deeper engagements in the community, um, out on the protest line. There are lots of different ways to step into formation. Yeah, thank you. So um, I wonder if we might... uh, um invite you to share a couple of stories. Um, curious about um, stories you've heard from maybe from seminarians, maybe from recent graduates, maybe from other other new leaders, uh, whatever whatever way makes sense. Um, what are some stories from from new leaders that you're hearing that are making you hopeful for the future of the church? <laughs> well, it's, it's, if I told you that I've been having this conversation all day, I, I would hope you would believe me. But literally, mm-hmm. formation, the future of the church, new leaders, this is in seminaries. This has been what I've been talking about for about four hours today. Huh. And it's right on time because just yesterday, this is the story I told earlier today, I referenced a meeting with a fairly new or, newly ordained priest. He's been priest um, less than three years. And so, recent graduate from a seminary and is finding himself in a job that places him 
both in the very large and active parish and also starting um, a new ministry in the community. So they have a, um, not quite a fresh expression, but an attempt at trying to be in the community in a different way. And so now that effort was started a year ago. He's in his second year of doing this ministry or so. And he's like, the world has changed. It's a pandemic. We're finally able to talk about dismantling white supremacy. These There are people on the streets demonstrating. There are people on the streets, you know, I mean, there's just a lot of stuff going on right now in September 2020. So we talked about, well, how's it going? We check him once a year. And he said, you know, there's, he felt he feels both prepared for this moment and yet nothing could prepare but the foundational pieces that are the real formative work of what does it mean to follow Jesus and to be nimble about that have continued to serve him well. So he worked full time while he went to seminary. It was really, really hard, had to juggle a lot of things as he is um, raising his family. And um, there's something about the complexity of moving through seminary formation in that way which makes him able to step into the current moment that he might not have anticipated. I mean, you know, it's a hard to, thing to do to work full time and go to seminary and commute. Anyone who's done it knows it's it's really difficult and you don't have the luxuries that sometimes you might have as a residential seminary student. Mm-hmm. But he does know how to um, be nimble and to think quick and to build relationships across difference mm-hmm. and to juggle very often competing allegiances in terms of parish and community ministry. So we're finding, I'm finding more stories like that to be ones that give me hope because the reality is um, ordaining people to sit in church offices all day and, and iron altar linens and offer Eucharist only. I mean, that's just not what we're up for. It's never been the call for the church really, but you know, we kind of have slid into that over the previous decades. And now, we're awakening to some new realities that I hope the Episcopal Church can step into the way this this fairly new priest is managing to do. Mm-hmm. Any other uh, stories uh, top of mind from? Yeah, I'll tell another story about this. Um, but, but this other individual who's a postulant, um, who may he may be bivocational. We'll see. Mm-hmm. But he is the principal at a huge middle school in the Indianapolis city um, school system. And uh, I mean, this place is massive. It's got this big campus and a couple of thousand students. And I spent a couple of hours with him just to see what he does. You know, supporting postulants in ministry. I'm like, well, show me how you spend part of your day. So, you know, he toured me around the school. We went through lunch hour with all the junior high students doing what they do. And he's an administrator and um, he's bilingual, he's Latino. And he showed me these pastoral gifts that were just stunning to watch in, on display in this mm-hmm. position that he holds. And he's mm-hmm. also very devoted and active in his congregation and it's had discerned a call to ordain ministry that's been with him for a very long time. And I thought, okay, here's someone who's felt, who seems to me very integrated, his sense of vocation, is fully realized in many ways in his work as a principal at a school. And I pray that um, God willing, he's ordained, he'll be able to use his, um, the gifts that he shows forth both at the church and in the school in a really um, complimentary way that he doesn't have to shelve one. Since you, you mentioned uh, an example of, 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 you know, someone, maybe they're going to be bivocational. Like, I wonder if we could talk for just a minute about, I know that's a, uh, um, 
a kind of hot controversial word in in some of these conversations about the future of leadership bivocational um uh really that's a controversial word well i i i get the sense that um that there are a lot of folks out there i mean maybe i'm elevating a twitter discourse to uh, <laughs> um uh, more importance than it than it sort of deserves but i know there's there's a, there's a fair bit of pushback that like the the solution to the future of church leadership is that that you know um clergy are going to have day jobs <laughs> um I'm curious, sort of like how, what your vision for for what uh, for how bivocational um, uh, leaders, you know, how, how that sort of fits in to your vision of ministry in, in your context. I just think it's one of the options for discerning a call, mm. and it has been. I mean, and, and part of it, I mean, it's a personal thing. When I was in your nation process at Trinity in New York City, I was told that I should expect to be bivocational. It's not just that the priest or deacon is bivocational, but the whole church is bivocational. We mm-hmm. all have a, a, a vocation that's in the world and in the sanctuary, and mm-hmm. we live them out differently. And the question really is about when people um, wonder about that, it's about the compensation issues that get raised mm-hmm. with compensating our clergy the way the Episcopal Church typically has done it. But um for those who are there, there will always, I think, be those called to full-time ministry within the institutional church. And some, for whatever reason, may not be or able to do that and will have their um, their uh, work compensation coming from other channels. But I don't think that makes the vocation to the, it doesn't dilute the, the vocation to ordained ministry. So the question is, how do we make room for all of the ways there is to provide sacramental and ecclesiastical leadership in our congregations and other settings. Thank you. Um, so for this next question, I'd love to invite you to uh, to kind of uh, think big, sky's the limit. Um, uh, I encourage people to have some fun with this one. Um, we're, we're thinking of, uh, of, a, of a creative course or, or a needed course. If, if, uh, if your job was to commission or, or maybe team teach, if you want to think about it that way, um, commission a, a course for today's seminarians, uh, any topic and any instructor, any instructor in the world. Um, wow. Uh, who, yeah. Who would you, who would you want to invite to uh, teach and, and what? Living or dead. Here's what I wish I had. I mean, I, you know, I had a great seminary education, CDSPs and all that, but if I were to construct a, a like a dream course about making, um, Oh man, I don't know what I would call it, but I would love a class where I could get Bernard Dozier, blessed memory, mm-hmm. and Lewis Weil, and mm-hmm. um, and Barbara Harris in a room to talk about, um, just to talk about ministry and sac- sac- and the sacramental nature of ministry in the church and the world. Because I think um, someone like Bernard Dozier could do the kinds of um, Teaching, I think it's helpful in a seminary context about really lifting up the notion of what it means to support the ministry of the baptized. Lewis Weil, whose teaching I rely on every day around the robust nature of sac- of the sacraments and how we're called forth to um, to be, oh, what's the word? I guess robust, I don't want to use robust again, but to really be lavish in our, our use and, and exploration of those sacraments and make sure that they relate to actual life and not just mm-hmm. Fussy 
things that we do in the sanctuary, but that they're really related to life and ministry. Mm-hmm. And um, and then Barbara Harris, who I think is one of the best practical theologians we've, we've had mm-hmm. a long time to help us understand what the implications are for this everyday people. And um, as and taking all of that as a way of helping to do the work of preparing the, the breach, which is, I think, what the gospel commands us to do, which is to work with Jesus to repair and reconcile the world. And so with those three perspectives for lay and ordained, like what does it really mean to help create communities that can be about that work? Those are three people I can think of at the top that I would love to be in conversation with. I don't know what yeah. books they would have on the syllabus. They might not even have books, but you put them all in the room. And I guarantee yeah. you over the course of a semester, folks would learn a lot. And perhaps yeah. there would be some kind of practical, um, a practicum that went with it where people were having to wrestle with the things that come up in those lectures and then go out into a ministry setting or on the streets to yeah. make something of it. Yeah. And I like that, um, that sort of like interdisciplinary uh, view of thinking about ministry. You know, so often we've sort of got the boxes of our disciplines and um, uh, having that chance to sort of step back and, and think, think across the boxes a little we did want to ask um, the folks we've invited to these conversations, um, you know, about about a change uh, about a change we might make uh, in leadership formation in the church. Um, as you kind of survey the landscape, um, you know, what's 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 one one thing you would want to change about how we do things uh, that might you know what whatever we um, you want to think about um, uh, that would make a um, a positive difference for the church. Hmm. So, I mean, if I've got my big magic wand and I can sort of do anything, I think, yeah. oh, wow, I don't know. There's a, there's a lot of ways I could go with that question, Kyle. I think about um, how to help people have experiences that put them in places where they have to be different and be with people who are really different. So um, things I think about most around leadership and growth in the church have to do with how we as an Episcopal church have a pretty narrow idea about what it means to be church, to worship as a church, and to understand what's quote unquote good church in my little air quotes, mm-hmm. you know? And I, I think anything we can do to expand people's experience, whatever it is they're coming from is really, really crucial. So, I mean, one example, you know, we've always had kinds of um, contextual experiences where people had to do at CDSP back in the day, a multicultural experience. And I remember arguing that I don't need a multicultural experience. I'm a black woman at a West Coast seminary that's majority white. Here I am, like this is my multicultural experience. But I had to learn some things about, well, no, actually it is different. And how about you go to El Salvador for a couple of weeks and learn how to be Mm -hmm. in a different culture, which shifted Mm -hmm. everything I thought I ever knew about New York City where I grew up. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I went back and embraced and began to learn about things that I would not have even considered because I don't know, I just wasn't um, compelled to do it. And that multicultural experience helps me. Leadership development, I think is, um, I mean, that's a key piece of being a leader that we don't talk about a lot, but because we have such, in our Episcopal church, we have such stratifications and divisions by race and class. The class one is the biggest one. We are not able to really show up in the ways we might want to in terms of our witness to Christ. And if we're going to have a church in the future, 
we have to have leaders who are not afraid of entering into other spaces, being uncomfortable in those spaces and growing and learning from those experiences, learning to um, be willing to pick up and go where God might send you. And so if I had a magic wand, I'd want to be able to just say, you know what, I just need to take this priest or this student and put them over here and be able to make it work. Because of course, you know, there are always kinds of complications, but um, I just remember when I was on staff at CDSP hearing people say, well, you know, I feel called to the priesthood, but I only feel called to Mm -hmm. this county (laughs) in the entire (laughs) country, like right here. And I thought, oh my gosh, like we can't, you know, God is so much broader. And so there's a parochialism I want us to overcome and leadership development, particularly in our church, I think has to do with helping people get comfortable and um, conversant and not just tolerating, but but learning to embrace all kinds of differences. So that when we say we welcome you, we can really affect that. Mm-hmm. that and if it, um, yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah. And, and I think I hear you saying that, that, um, that, that, immersion um is 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 one way to do that um sounds like you had a you know sort of an immersion um experience that was powerful um i'm wondering about other um uh you know we if we don't have a magic wand but we do um you know we can give people some advice about about uh where and how to show up um uh for their learning um you know what other what other advice would you give folks about um about developing that leadership characteristic? The way I talk about folks needing to inspect their their circles when we're talking about dismantling systemic racism, you know, people will say, oh my gosh, that's so softball light. Like I'm telling people to think about who they, where they spend their time. I mean, there are these really easy things. I think those are questions we need to be thinking about as leaders because those are places where every day we can form different kinds of relationships across difference, which don't require immersing um, yourself in a different language and culture, but maybe helps learn how to form relationships with people who are a different class or a different ethnicity, um, country of origin. So one of the stories I tell often is when I was in Syracuse, I had a couple of folks who worked at the university, Syracuse University. One was a Methodist chaplain, another was an uh, administrator in international affairs. We had children who were about the same age, like under about one years old or so. So we said, let's get together for Sunday dinner. And we made this commitment for a year before I moved to Chicago, where we, we met for Sunday dinner because we said we want to form a community where we and our kids get to experience other people. And so, you know, there was ethnic differences one of the couples was um, from Kurdistan. Uh, another was Anglo. There was Harrison and I. He's Bahamian. I'm a Amer- black African American, and we ate each other's foods. We were in each other's houses. We taught. We met each other's parents. So we, you know, mm-hmm. when the parent came over from the old country, like we, she didn't speak English. We we learned how to. I mean, we had the experience of being and knowing each other at a deep level. So. That was one way I thought, well, my goodness, I, I don't think I knew a lot about that country, but I know a lot about it now. <laughs> and I can think about it and inquire about it in different ways and struggle with what it means to be uncomfortable with me not being able to communicate with ease that I'm used to. So so that I think um, is a formative experience that can pay de- dividends in terms of being a leader who then is not afraid to step into another 
circumstance where I'm not the one in charge. I'm not the one with the language um, privilege. Um, and I want my people to be able to say that the belovedness of God can be manifested in any guise. That's so helpful that that movement from like a sort of singular mountaintop sort of experience um, to the the sort of daily um, daily integration of the habit in, in everyday life. Yeah, that's helpful. Yeah, because I think any formation formation experience is like that. Like you can have the mountain the mountaintops, but it's like the way the faith has to work on you daily. Like I think it's the um, being kind of disciplined and committed to that way of seeing the world and leading in the world. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Well, to uh, to wrap things up here, uh, I just wonder if there's any other uh, advice you might have to share with a with a seminary that is uh, sort of contemplating its its future mission and role. What else What else is on What else is on your radar that should be on our radar? I would say, I mean, one of the great things about seminary time, whether you're um, doing it part time or full time or by distance where you only come in during the summer is just to seek the opportunities to lap up the thing that you don't think you need to do. It's the opportunity that's kind of like a safe place to do the unsafe things, mm-hmm. right? To take some risks, to, to um, be challenged by how other people are bringing God to you and to get really curious about it and to wonder and struggle with it. And to, I think um, in doing so be able to be more, um, uh, understanding and empathetic to those who are not people of faith or who struggle with faith or who struggle with being different. Um, seminary's got so many opportunities for that. I would say anyone who's looking at theological study, lay or ordained, like take the risks mm-hmm. um, because it's always, you know, formative. Yeah, and then and then um, do I hear right that you're you're saying that the the role of the school is in part to um, sort of create that safe risk-taking, yeah. you know, sort of zone across a bunch of different kinds of experiences. Am I, am I getting that right? Yeah. 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 And now, I mean, I, I keep thinking about some regrets I had. Like, I think I would, why didn't I go to Asia or someplace with John Cater? Like, should have done that. Mm. <laughs> um, I did other things. So I don't think I wasted a minute of my seminary education. Yeah. I mean, I was like taking it all in. And I just think there are opportunities like that that are not presented anyplace else. And so mm-hmm. seminaries um, are so important for so many reasons, but I think that's one of the gifts they can offer. And so um, just rich exploration. And of course, all of that exploring outside is about really enriching what God is doing in the interior. And it it stays and you can draw from that for, um, you know, for, the, for a lifetime. So uh, I hope people can not play it too safe knowing that the seminary is a place where there is the expectation that you might try some things, learn some things, fail at some things, excel at some things, you know, the way yeah. school typically can be. Yeah. You're uh, giving me all kinds of mushy thoughts about my own uh, experience too. So um, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good note to end on. And um, Bishop Jennifer, let me just uh, thank you once again for being a part of this little project. Oh, it's been a delight, Kyle. Thank you. Crossings Conversations is a co-production of Church Divinity School of the Pacific and Trinity Church Wall Street. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or share it with a colleague. You can learn more about the only Episcopal seminary on the West Coast and subscribe to Crossings Magazine at cdsp.edu.